0: I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing today? Good, good.
1: Uh, the baseball bells are chiming, kind of in the background a little bit, so we're we're slowly getting there.
0: It's feeling like we're uh, getting into playing shape. I, I think you and I are going to have to get back into, uh, uh, you know, game thread shape. We're going to have to start uh, yeah. working out and uh, getting us getting into, you know into regular season blogging activities. Uh, no, I've
1: been. Now I've been working out against the league's protocol rules all season. I've been breaking those rules, like Tom Brady down in Florida. I've been <laughs> hang! I've been getting 15, 20 guys together, all hugging and touching, sweating on each other. So it's yeah. been
0: great. Well, I don't. I think that's probably too much information on how the blogging process happens. <laughs> okay. Uh, also joining us is David Lesky. David, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. How about you guys?
0: Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, I like Sean said. I think having seen baseball around the corner gives me <laughs> a little bit of hope, although. I mean, a lot can happen between now and July 24th. <laughs> right. So,
2: well, you know, for me, I am, uh, I'm working out real hard to get back into series preview shape because it's, uh, it's one of those things that you, you can't just, you can't just wake up in the morning, and write a series preview, you know, you gotta, you gotta work yourself up to it. So I've got a few weeks and hopefully uh hopefully we get a schedule soon enough that i can i can maybe start practicing some here and there
0: <laughs> well i think we're gonna be really relying on the series previous too because i had just totally forgotten what happened in the off season like it was like <laughs> that, that might as well have been like five years ago like uh who's in our division i don't even remember who in our is you know who we play in our division so uh there's a lot to catch up on and hopefully we can kind of all acclimate our, our readers and fans uh into baseball because it's, it's it's been a while since we've talked about actual baseball and Later on in this podcast, we'll talk a little bit about the 60-man club pool that was announced over the weekend uh, that will help make up the active roster for the Royals. But first, uh, before we move to that, I do kind of want to put a bow on the labor negotiations. I know a lot of fans are probably tired of hearing about it, but I do kind of want to, you know, they did kind of wrap things up. Uh, we didn't. We have a resolution, although the two sides, the owners and players, never really fully came to an agreement. Uh, but under the terms of their March agreement, the owners are still... Able to unilaterally impose a 60-game season, which is what we'll have beginning on July 24th. Uh, we won't have the expanded playoffs that were initially proposed. Instead, we'll have the regular playoffs. Uh, there will be a, a DH in the National League just for this year as a safety and protocol measure to keep pitchers from getting hurt. Um, but um, for the most part, I guess there will be some changes uh, to this to how things look. Uh, definitely, you know, you're not going to be fan. Or you may not have Fans, you may—if there are fans, there certainly won't be as many as there are. There's going to be a lot of safety protocols with uh, social distancing on the field. Uh, it'll be a little bit different. Uh, but David, I did kind of want to get your thoughts on whether you know we had this long labor standoff. Was there either side, owners or players, that maybe made out better from having the standoff, or you know, was this was this all worth it, um, or? Uh, are we all just kind of left out, uh, missing out on baseball, and, and we're all kind of losers from, from the standoff?
2: I, I mean, I don't think anybody fully won, although that that that's subject to change, because where I think the players made out the best is the owners offered their 60 games, whenever that was, two weeks ago, whatever. Um, players countered, obviously nothing came of that, and they ended up with a 60-game schedule that the owners originally offered, but they retained their right to file a grievance, which... I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, <laughs> not a lawyer. I don't know if they'd win or lose, but the fact that they have held on to that and still got the 60-game season, I, I think is at least somewhat of a win for them. And and I don't know necessarily if the players won, but I think the owners lost because uh, I believe they, they thought they could break the union, and they didn't. Um, I also from what I understand, you know, I've talked to some people in, in sports business. If you add the uniform ads, um, th- those can be pretty lucrative. The NBA, they're the lowest is 5 million. The highest is 20 million. Uh, you know, baseball season is twice as long. So maybe, I don't, I don't know if it doubles the number, but even if you say it's only 10 million on average, which I think is probably low, honestly, that's $300 million over the course of a season. They turn down, really what amounts to six extra games because i'm pretty sure if the owners had come back with 66 to the the players proposal of 70 the players would have said yes so they turned down six extra games which would have cost them about 150 million dollars even if you are over way way overestimate and say it's 200 million they still seem to you know 300 million is more than 200 million and so i think they came out behind i think they made a mistake um and I think they did that because they were trying to basically break the union, and they didn't. So they lost out on the money. They lost out on, you know, decreasing the solidarity in the union. And I, I, I just don't think they won in any way, shape, or form. And I, so I think if anybody did it, it, was the players. But I think the owners, in my opinion, lost this negotiation battle.
0: No, I totally agree that it seemed very stubborn for them to pass up the last players' offer, which was 70 games, and. A waiving their right to file a grievance, which to me, yeah. that's the big, the big deal because so they, the players preserve the right to file a grievance in the future, claiming that the owners dragged their feet and didn't negotiate in good faith and, and, and kept a, a, a more games from being played this year, which, and they can sue for financial damages, which could be hundreds of millions of dollars. And to me, the chance to a make the advertising money you talk about, B make the expanded money from expanded playoffs that mm-hmm. they could have made. I mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. And then C avoid litigation, that's a pretty big win for you just paying for ten more games. I'm really and I think there's probably some more to it than that. I think there are sure some some like forgiveness in terms of like the the money they they forwarded up front back in March and there's some how they're going to split the playoff revenues was kind of still at stake. But that I mean just looking at those big points, i it, I'm surprised the owners were so stubborn to not say well, sixty is fine, but seventy is like out of the question. Even if they get all that stuff, so I I agree. I think the owners really probably should have taken the players' offer. But um, yeah, I, I I think looming over all of this is next year's negotiation, and perhaps this is the way to, way to get you know the owners were trying to break the union, and we did see some fissures. I mean, uh, Trevor Bauer I think was pretty vocal in not being uh, very satisfied with what the players got. And so I don't know sean what what how, what was your kind of impression on how both sides made out and and what what do you think uh, how do you think the two sides are gonna go into next year's negotiation when they have to talk about a new collective bargaining agreement?
1: I mean, I kind of think the i I kind of think the owners won because their goal i mean as you've kind of figured it out, the shorter the season the the better off mm-hmm. the owners were. so uh, you know it, maybe it's not it's obviously not a fifty game season like you know they had the power to potentially implement, but I think we knew that the shorter the season, the better for the owners. So I think they win ultimately in that case. Um, now, the, thankfully, the players have some benefits of the full-paraded salary, which is nice. The service time, not having to get you know stuck up on that. Um, so I think I think the players came out with some good stuff. But in the end, I you know I I, I don't know how much money they've lost. The players did, um, but you know I think the owners are going to come out a little bit better home. I'm going to do some math. One. Uh, so what? So basically, the players is going to pay get paid about forty percent of what they expected to make, essentially over the season. Um, so that stinks for them, uh, especially for the people like you know, Garrett Cole who just signed a gigantic deal. It's like well, I'll be you know already kind of lose out on the very first part of that. But um, the owners at least get, I wouldn't say screwed over, but anybody that made a trade and you think about the Dodgers with Mookie Betts, like you only get sixty games now. You know, if they still win the World Series with bets, who cares if it was for 60 games or 162 games because the playoffs are what matter. So it could still come out there. But um, I think in the end, the owners uh, were the winners, really, uh, you know, for better or for worse.
0: Yeah, well, I will say the you know, I talked about the owners being stubborn. In a way, the players are also kind of stubborn, getting, you know, demanding like full pro rata no matter how many games it was. And in a way, I think they could have used this as an opportunity to maybe negotiate and get some sort of um, concessions from the owners. In fact, like, Cause the owner's going to lose a lot of money this year and they're going to take it out on the players in free agency this off season. And you know, you know, if you, if you, if you think the last couple of winters winners were cold, I mean, this is just going to be a frigid off season when it comes to free agency. And it's supposed to be, I think a pretty good class too. So, you know, the players could have maybe negotiated a way to protect free agency somehow, whether it's like some sort of salary floor or some, you know, getting rid of qualifying offers completely. Um, which the owners did propose at one point. So in a way, they were stubborn as well, and maybe that'll end up costing them uh, long term. Uh, but but I, so I do see your your point of view. I think you know the players you know they're, they're going to have to pay get a lot less than they what they're expecting this year. Um, but uh, you know the good thing is we are going to have baseball this year. We're going to have a 60 game schedule. That's going to pervade you know a lot greater variance. I think we, we could see a surprising team or two get off to a hot start this year, possibly even make the playoffs. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking around, at least Royals fans are thinking, okay, do the Royals have a shot? Or at the very least, does Dayton Moore think the Royals have a shot, Sean? uh, You know, we did see their playoff odds rise from like basically nothing to 14% at fan graphs. Are you you buying in that the Royals have a shot at this making the playoffs at all?
1: I mean, it's kind of nice to, to play the Tigers and the White Sox. Well, I think the White Sox will be okay. but So it's nice to play the Tigers, you know, whatever percentage. I forget how many they play in each team. Is it a home-and-home home series? Uh, so it's, it's uh, so like six.
0: It's, oh, man, I'm forgetting now. I'm blanking. It's, it's yeah. ten
2: against each division team. So mm-hmm. okay. the Royals will play 40 against the AL Central and 20 against the NL Central. Okay. The NL Central part is weird because it's six against the Cardinals and then – I think it's two three game series and two four game series for the other two for the other four teams. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work. Yeah, but
1: But, so the Royals play 16 percent of their games against the what the Tigers. So that's a pretty good start. Um, And you know you could argue the Tigers are just as bad as the Royals, or the Royals are just bad as Tigers. So we'll see. Um, I mean, I love probabilities and everything, but I would bet. I would bet. Even though I've got whatever uh, whatever percent it is, what did you say, fourteen percent of fangrafts? Yeah. So I mean, you know, I've got the eighty-six percent chance on my side that they don't make the playoffs. I would take that. Um, but I don't know. It's fun to think about, but it really would take something. I mean, and not only it's it's not only that the Royals have to be good; it's that the Twins and the in Cleveland have to be worse than expected. So it's got, we'll take a slew of events, effectively. So no, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're rooting for Team Entropy or Entropy League, this is this is it. I,
0: I did see a quote from Whit Merrifield, something to the effect of, like, this will be the first time we're not totally out of it by August in my career, which was kind of sad. Ooh. I felt so bad for Whit Merrifield. Yeah. Like, you didn't get to be on any of those good Royals teams. You had to be on kind of the crummy ones. Yeah. Uh, that's but, not
2: true, though. They they were in they they were in the second wild card spot in yeah. twenty seventeen. Oh, so that's He's true. a liar. That's right. Yeah, he's, he's so maybe, a dirty liar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe just maybe the pain of the last two years or so was just so much he forgot about that year. But uh, <laughs> you know, even if the Royals aren't in the playoff, hon huh, David, like this short season is going to have an impact on them. Like, what what ways do you see this kind of impacting how they operate and how you know the, the rebuild long term?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, and the, the problem with a short season for a team like the Royals is for better or for worse 2020 was another year to evaluate and you know 60 games they don't they don't get that huge evaluation time anymore they don't they don't have the opportunity to see michael franco get hot and cold 14 times throughout the season (laughs) i mean then and i mean you know it's i i think that for most of the players they're evaluating we all have a pretty good idea without having to see them again but i mean look more more data is better always and so if they weren't going to win anyway, yeah, let's see what Brett Phillips can do. Bubba Starling, Michael Franco is another guy, Jorge Lopez. I mean, again, we think is the one we don't really know about because he was in a Royal before. But we feel like we have a good idea on these guys, but we could have found out more, and now we probably won't. Um, but, the you know, I was listening to MLB Network Radio. I don't know what day it was. Um, but uh, Todd Hollinsworth, who is a Marlins radio guy now, um a weird career path from Dodgers rookie of the year to Marlins radio guy, but he um, he made a really good point. He's like for teams like the Marlins and the Royals and the Tigers and the Pir- you know all these bad teams. You start the season and if you look around, you you need to figure out a way to psych yourself into thinking every team is fifty-one and fifty-one, and and think that you're in that and you have a chance. And it's it's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, it really it's no different than zero and zero, I guess, except for. It, 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 if they were actually fifty-one and fifty-one, it would just be less variance as the season goes on. But, but yeah, I mean, with the short season, they have an opportunity to maybe be a little creative with some things. You know, especially early in the year, they're not going to have a very long spring training. What their first workout? They Mike Matheny said was Wednesday. So what? What is that? Is that the? Is that the first or
0: uh, whatever? Yeah, the first, will be, uh, first will be the first. Will be they'll get tested. I think the first workout once everyone's clear, it's The will third. Be the third.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah. the third. You know, if they played the 24th,
0: I mean, the pitchers are probably not going
2: to be going six, seven innings for the first two weeks of the season, which is two weeks of the season is like a quarter of the season almost. Yeah, they'll have Um, just three
0: exhibition games, if that. I mean, it's up to the teams to schedule exhibition games. Right. And they only have a maximum of three.
2: So, yeah, so there's not a lot of time to get ready. So the Royals are in a really good position because the bulk of their prospect base is pitching. And I, I don't know if they're going to put, I mean, Singer will probably be on the roster because he was probably going to be on the roster anyway, right or wrong. But I don't know if they're going to give Lynch and Coar and Bubich and, and, and some of those guys a chance or not. But if they decide to, I mean, you could see some creative pitching. You could see maybe, maybe Daniel Lynch starts a game that Jacob Junis finishes <laughs> or not finishes, but maybe you know Lynch starts for two or three innings and Junis comes in for four or five. I, I don't, I don't think they'll do that, but it gives them an opportunity to do that. And, and it's which one of those things that when, when teams do, I don't want to say weird, but weird things. When when the Rays tried the opener a couple of years ago, I mean, internally, they they probably had a really good idea that it was going to work, but people always look at weird, baseball is so traditional that when teams do things a little different, other people kind of look at them with their head cocked. You know, it's it's one of those things. And this season, I don't think anybody's going to give anybody weird looks. <laughs> you, no. you can pretty much do anything and, and just say, ah, well, you know, weird year. We're doing it. We're trying it. And, and see if it works. And, and I think in the long run, I could see, if enough teams actually embrace that, I could see this kind of changing baseball forever. Because maybe some things that we've never even thought about, some teams try. And they work. and they take them into a one hundred and sixty two game season and they work there too, and then all of a sudden the game has changed. So that that to me is is some of the stuff that I'm looking most forward to in in a, in a weird season like this.
0: Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting what what kind of innovations teams do come up with and and you know teams in different situations like the teams that are competitive could you know do interesting things in the rotation to win more games, whereas teams out of it maybe do interesting things to just get a look at guys and evaluate players um i don't know sean what kind of impacts do you see this season the shortened season having specifically on the royals or maybe other teams in baseball
1: yeah i mean i definitely think you'll see a lot of prospects who are going to play in games that wouldn't necessarily be there i think the uh oh is it the tigers i think the tigers expected um gosh scuba Mize, manning i think they think all three of those guys are going to play you know uh, mlb games this year which i don't think you would have seen um and of course as i've gone on and on about uh, you know to death is that we're going to get a dh i i said i would sacrifice the entire season if we could just get a dh in both leagues in 2021 so it, we've got it for 2020 and hopefully we've hopefully we've come to our senses that we need to carry it into 2021 and into perpetuity um but i just think you're going to see a lot more prospects play uh, that wouldn't normally get the chance. Um, you could see, because games are going to... Each game is worth more uh, in a shortened season, that you could see teams go to the bullpens a lot earlier um, to kind of try and shore up, because you don't have to necessarily worry about a longer season. Um, you know, and, and if you think that a really good bullpen or bringing in your relievers earlier helps you kind of lock in a game, I think you could see bullpen usage uh, be a little different, but be, be much more heavier bullpen usage than um, in years past.
0: And I think when you're also looking at the rebuild, I think usually we look at July 31st as an opportunity to add prospects in exchange for some of our veterans that are you yeah. know on expiring contracts, uh, which would be in Kennedy this year. Uh, but with, you know, and the trade deadline has been moved back from July 31st to August 30th, 31st. So it is moved back, but I am expecting a lot of teams to be kind of still in it by that point. I don't know if teams are going to be giving up a lot of prospects for uh you know what's kind of a weird year there's also a rule I saw that you you can only trade for guys that are on the 60 man club pool so you can't just oh. trade for some lottery guy in A ball who's not in the club pool you have to trade right, for guy but how
2: does a how, you could do a player to be named later i'm sure I'm, that's I, good, that's you know there, good there's ways around that huh, for yeah. sure
0: so
1: i don't well, know if, so i think i would think that in a shortened season where games mean more man i think i think if i were a team i would maybe be willing to give up more because if i could get my guy that i know that's going to maybe win me you know, an extra game or two in the end, that's worth more than, you know, one or two wins over whatever, essentially be an 81 game uh, remainder of season um, on the second half. So I don't know. I I think I might be willing to pay a little bit more in a shortened season where variance is a lot higher than, um, you know, trading for a guy and then having 81 more games to go. Now you've only got whatever it is, whatever the equivalency of it is. I don't know if it's actually 30, but whatever it ends up being.
0: What do you think, David? Because Ian Kennedy, I think one of the big obstacles with him was his salary – well, now he's only making what? Oh, yeah. 40% of what he was making before. He becomes maybe a little more valuable. Oh, you also have Whit Merrifield, who is not a rental. And so if you're worried about you know this shortened season, maybe he becomes a little more valuable because you've got him signed beyond this year. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you expect much activity at the trade deadline?
2: So I think guys like Ian Kennedy are the ones who their value just plummets because they're guys who – In a typical season, if if he had the same year in 2020 that he had in 2019, so obviously we'll start with that caveat because there's no guarantee of that. We don't. There's not much of a track record, obviously, with him as a reliever. So if he had the same year and and a team could trade for him in mid July and get, you know, 30 appearances out of him, I think they would probably give up more than they would for a month of him when he's a good, not great reliever. And that's if he's the same as last season. Now, if he goes out and puts up a A 1.2 ERA with a 40% strikeout rate. Okay, well, (laughs) different story. Totally different story. But if he's that guy who's a, a pretty good, not great pitcher, I don't think he does well. To me, and I wrote about this on Friday, to me, I think the guys who have the most value truly are the players who are signed through 2021. And the reason I say that is because I think there's a fear about the 2022 season with the labor agreement. I think there is a look at this season as yeah, it'd be great to win. And we're going to raise a banner if we do, but also eh, I don't want to, I'm not going to give up a, a top, top prospect to win a 60 game banner um, or a 60 game piece of metal as Rob Manford might say. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I think that it's the guys who are signed through next season that I think have really big value. And so if the Indians, you know, if they start off 14 and 21, And it's, I don't know if that would get them to whatever the the number would be on August 31st. Maybe Lindor's even more valuable because you get him for this year and next year. You don't have to worry about after that when when, who knows what baseball's economic structure is going to look like, all that. Chris Bryant's the same way. Trevor Story. Javi Baez, if the Cubs struggle. I mean, gosh, they they might be smart to move him. I don't know. So I think those are the guys that look the best. And so for the Royals, you're looking at Danny Duffy, who... You know he's kind of Kennedy-ish, up and down. You don't really know what you're going to get. Jorge Soler, Salvador Perez, who's not getting moved, and there's a couple other guys. But you know I I, I think that the the short season hurts a guy like Kennedy specifically, just because. And eh, he's kind of whatever. <laughs> he he's he's a nice nice piece to have, but if you're a contender already, you're if you're if you're a real if you're a championship contender, you're probably not trading for a closer if you trade for Ian Kennedy. In all likelihood. And do you really give up a big haul for one month of that? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way off here. But that's just kind of where I see it at this point.
0: No, I think you're probably right. I, I, I think he will get traded. But I, I think you're right. The value has probably gone down quite a bit. And you're probably just getting kind of a token, like minor leaguer at this point, like a double A guy who... Maybe on the sixty club, you know, sixty man club pool, but which I would take by the way, yeah, Frank yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong, right? It's something. It's something for him when you are going to lose him for nothing at, that, at this point. So, right, uh, yeah. But I think that I think your analysis makes sense. That you know, maybe fitting that window of twenty twenty one. Although, I mean, looking at things right now, there is no guarantee that we're going to play twenty twenty one under non pandemic circumstances. So that you know, that kind of looms over everything. But uh, but yeah, I think that probably does hurt them moving Kennedy, uh, and you know, they probably points to more why they should have traded him when they could have last year when he was uh, having a, a, a great season. And there may be in some other circumstances why they couldn't do that. But uh, right now it kind of looks like a missed opportunity at this point. Uh, but we'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't think anyone really knows quite how the trade deadline is going to shape out when the, when it, when it comes to it. Uh, I did want to turn to the draft. Um, you know, Sean and I have talked a little bit about the, the, the draft class. The Royals did get all six players signed this week. Uh, not too many surprises. Aza Lacy signed his contract uh, for 6.6 million dollars, which is pr- almost equivalent to slot. Uh, the Royals overall spent like just under their slot amount, like four thousand dollars, under their uh, total bonus pool amount, uh, so they won't be they won't have to pay any overages. Uh, Sean, I, th- I did want to talk to you about Nick Lofton. He got a three million dollar bonus. His slot was 2.2 million dollars. Uh, I, I think. It's interesting about Lofton, I think you, Clint Scholes, a couple other, like, online evaluators aren't, like, super impressed with Lofton. I think, David, I think maybe you're in that same category as well. But, like, the baseball people, the Baseball America, the, you know, your Jim Callis, your your um, J.J. Cooper, like, they seem to really like him. And, you know, reading Alec Lewis's piece about Lofton uh, at The Athletic... Like, you kind of see what the I mean, he he checks all the boxes for, like, what the Royals like, or what the Royals are all about. Like, he, you know, good character guy, gamer, will play all over the field for you. But, you know, $750,000 over slot, was that kind of surprising to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, they did the same thing with Brady McConnell. Um, another kind of uh, shortstop, uh, but this time from the Big Ten. I, I don't know college divisions as well as I used to. God, everybody's moved around, but the guy from, instead of a guy from the Big 12 uh, with uh, Lofton. So, um, yeah, surprising, I guess. I mean, like, like I said, they did the same thing with McConnell. You know, obviously they really like their guy. I mean, I guess if you think, like, okay, we think he was going to go, I know they said they're going to, they gonna take consider him at fourth overall, but we all agree that's just kind of for slot value stuff. Um, but like, if you think he's like, the 15th best player or something like that. And you get him at 32nd. um, I think you can make the argument that, okay, we have to pay him enough money that like, he thinks he's worth the 15th pick. We have to pay him enough to convince him not to go back next year and be that 15th pick. Um, So maybe that's what they were thinking there. McConnell, I don't think was like that at all, but Lofton, I think the Royals had him higher up on their board than maybe the consensus would have had. So I think they were like, okay, you know, we know Lacey's going to sign for basically slot. We'll already – uh, or maybe a little under. We'll have money – a little bit of money to spend if we get Hernandez. So I don't know. I, I think that it's, in the end it's really not a big deal because it's it's not as if they – It it doesn't seem like it's the Royals' M.O. the past few drafts to – play slot games. Mm -hmm. um, Like maybe the Astros have been willing to do or the, uh, or Cleveland has been willing to do. Uh, So I think they just figured, okay, let's just get our guy. um, And they must like Lofton. And look, I don't have a problem with Lofton as like the 64th pick or the 70th pick in the draft. I just didn't like him at 32 with other guys still on the board. Um, I would have rather gone over slot at, to get like a, a, a nice high school talent or something like that. Um, but, you know, Lofton himself was fine. I just didn't like where he was taken as all. And I think Hernandez being taken um, later on, uh, whatever it was, at uh, pick, oh my gosh, I'm
0: blanking 40. 41. What, whatever the, yeah, whatever 40, was. he was there. So high schooler Ben Hernandez was their 41st pick, 40, 41st 40. overall pick and the, yep. their second round pick. So
1: yeah, I like that better than I like Lofton at 32.
0: Well, it's kind of I, I I mean there's probably a lot about slotting and, and and bonuses that I don't understand. Hernandez ended up signing for $300, 360,000 $360, $360 under yeah, slot, which That was weird. To me, the high school guys should be the ones that have more leverage to sign for over slot because they can always say, "Well, I'm going to a junior college or college." And he was a commit to University of Illinois Chicago. He could have just said, "I'm going there instead if you don't pay me over slot." Whereas Lofton, I mean, he could go back to Baylor for a senior year, but I mean, you're talking about a situation where they're going to get their seniors returning for another year of eligibility. You're going to get the freshmen, the high schoolers that Mm -hmm. didn't go to the draft this year, going to Baylor and and making up the roster. You know, you don't you could get hurt your senior year. You could uh, there may not be a college baseball season next year. A lot can go wrong. And it seems like teams. I agree with you. The Royals don't. I don't think they play hardball with slot at all like like the Indians or Astros. Uh, and I think Lofton's our guy, and they're like, we'll reward him with 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 what we feel he, he was worth. But I'm surprised teams ever – and I'm all for players getting as much as they can, but I'm surprised, like, college guys ever really get over-slot at all. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, because it seems like the leverage is all with the – and yeah. if the Royals don't sign them, well, they get the 33rd pick in the draft next year, which which could yeah. be a better draft anyway, so.
1: And we saw it with Singer, too. Like, I was blown away that Singer got over-slot. I forget how much over-slot he got. Um, But, like, I was like, okay, like – Singer just had the best, arguably one of the best pitching performance seasons. Now, not not as if he's the best college pitching prospect to come out, but he had statistically one of the better pitching prospect seasons in the SEC. It's like, okay, what's he gonna do? Go back again next year, try to repeat that. But I mean, he still got a bunch of slots, so I don't know. I mean, the Royals are kind of just always just felt like they had their guy and paid him. Uh, uh, so. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love getting Ben Hernandez, whatever it was, 360K or whatever it was under slot. That that works. It just kind of stinks that they use it on Lopton, um, who I, you know, that could have maybe got a little later.
0: David, I don't think we've had you on since the draft. Uh, what was kind of your general impression on on getting Lacey Lace Lace in the first round, uh, especially with the situation that kind of unfolded? And, and what was your kind of thoughts on the overall class?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was shocked that, that Lacey fell. Well, I, I wasn't shocked that Lacey fell. I was shocked that Lacey and Martin fell mm-hmm. <laughs> and that they had the choice of those two, um, plus the guys who they were talking about. Um, you know, honestly, I, it, if everybody was available, I may have taken Max Meyer out of all of them. So um, yeah, I, he has a chance to maybe be the best of the bunch, although I like Lacey. But, you know, so th- that's I thought that was a really nice move for the Royals. Um Add to that stable of, of advanced pitching prospects. Um, in my opinion, I think Lacey's probably still behind Lynch, but ahead of ahead of Coar and Singer to me. Although Coar's close because I love his changeup. But um, the draft as a whole, yeah, I agree with Lofton. I I don't mind the Lofton pick. I mind it where it was and for the money they gave. Him. <laughs> like you give him a, a more reasonable bonus at a more reasonable spot. Sure, great. Give me a, a college shortstop who may have some power to grow on. I totally buy that, but. To me, I think I think what it says is the Royals think they can get more power out of him, which, I mean, we don't really know what the Royals' offensive de- development system can do because it's new, and that's another thing that we've missed out on this season. So we'll see with him, I guess, but also love the Hernandez pick. Really liked uh, the Chamberlain pick if if they don't waste time with him starting. Um I mean, I get it. I get you want to start some guys, give him some innings. I'm totally fine with that. But I, think he, I don't think he's a starter long term. So I don't think there's really a whole lot of benefit outside of extra innings to pitch him too much in the rotation in the minors. Um, and the same with Will Klein, although I don't think anybody thinks Klein can really start. So I don't think that's going to be a risk at all. But um, all in all, I think it was a nice draft. I don't think it was great. I think it was pretty good. Um, their non-drafted free agent class I thought was – Pretty great. So that that was that was a nice supplement. They basically had a ten round draft and a five round draft year. Um, and all in all, they got better. And that that's the important thing. They got potentially they got one of the two or three best pitchers in the entire class. Um, and going back to the Hernandez and you know Coar's changeup. Ben Hernandez has a great changeup too. And that's one of those things that you can build off that. I feel like. Um, and so it gives them an opportunity to. To maybe have a, a guy with a little more pitching feel Who's younger, but probably could move uh, not, not fast, but Relatively quickly, so that, that'll be nice to have in the system As well.
0: Well, hopefully Nick Loft And the Royals are able to unleash his power, and he turns Into the next Ben Zobrist, and makes us all Look kind of silly for complaining about his Bonus, uh, because uh, The Royals need a couple guys like that to kind of Pop out of the farm system. Let's take a quick break And when we come back, we'll talk about the Royals 60-man club pool Well, the Royals revealed their list of 60 players that will make up the club pool this year. The club pool is a list of players that can make up the active roster, plus a taxi squad that will work out near Kauffman Stadium that the Royals can bring up players from, since it seems very unlikely there will be a minor league season. Some interesting names on the club pool include Brady Singer, Jackson Kolar, Daniel Lynch, as well as 2019 first-round pick Bobby Witt Jr. Noticeably absent from the list is 2020 first-round pick Aza Lacey, who we just talked about, uh, David, were you surprised Lacey didn't make it? And uh, did you see any other surprises on this list that kind of stuck out to you? I was a little
2: surprised. Um, but also, I put this on Twitter, too. I kind of wonder if he might still make that. Because there's a few. I mean, they did go full 60. And um, Levi Weaver, who writes for The Athletic, um, had a really good thread about rules. And if you take somebody off the 60-man roster and they're not on the 40-man, they get released immediately. And it's it's. Confusing. So just read the thread. Uh, but basically, I, I see some guys. Braden Shipley is a guy. And honestly, Greg Holland hasn't been added to the 40 man yet, which doesn't mean he won't be. But I, you know, in a short season, there's a part of me that wonders if the Royals are saying, hey, we're going to showcase you however you showcase somebody right now. I'm not entirely sure how that would work. And if you want to leave, you're free to. And, and then there's also possibilities for trades. Um, I mean, somebody's bound to get hurt and go on the. What is it 45 day injured list now Mm -hmm. so uh, i think that there are potential opportunities for him to get on the roster um i'm not saying he necessarily will be the first guy added if something happens but i think i think that could be the case with uh with him i was surprised carlos hernandez was left off um he didn't pitch very much last year with due to injury and he's on the 40 man so that's a little bit surprising um i i also not terribly surprised but i wasn't 100 percent sure they were going to do it putting solely Matias and, and nick prado on there which is fully an instructional thing and and um, i tweeted this also recently in the last 10 years the royals have averaged 46 players per season that they've used that's in 162 games that's in a season with april and early may weather issues where you have double headers and weird days off where you need to call pitchers up and and do all that that's with no extra inning restrictions which there's going to be extra innings rules that, that they start off with runner on second and nobody out and all that and so and so games won't go quite as long so that's with all of that and obviously in the full season. In a 60 game season that starts in mid-summer I mean, you're probably not going to have a lot of weather issues so they're to, to think they're going to use all 60 is probably incorrect I mean some teams might I guess it would be surprising to me but it, it's they're looking at it as a development tool and nobody needs instruction more than Prado and, and Sully right now after the season they had last season. So um, not terribly surprising. And then the other name, the other name that I was a little bit surprised was left off, but kind of confirms what we probably already knew was Jonathan Boland, not being on that list with all the other pitching prospects on there, including Austin Cox. And, you know, you kind of thought that he was in that next tier, in the Royals' minds, but now we know that he was in that next tier in the Royals' minds because if he wasn't, he would have been added to the roster. So that, that that's kind of a nice thing about this too. We see who the Royals value the very most. Not that they don't value players who aren't on there, but who they value the most of, of who they did add to that list. So I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, I guess you should. I should kind of be clear, like what we're talking about. Like, so there's the act of there's going to be an active roster this year, and it'll start at, at 30 this year instead of 25, and well, it was going to be 26 this year. They'll start out with 30 players on their active roster. And then since there's not going to be a minor league season, they're, I guess the taxi squad can be considered the minors. It's just a way to keep them in one facility to make sure we know who's had contact with who instead of being far-flung in like you know Idaho Falls and Burlington and all these places. They have them all in one place. And so, yeah, you're right. Not all 60 guys are going to be in the active roster. If you hear Nick Prado is on the 60-man uh, you know club pool, that doesn't mean Nick Prado is going to be in Kansas City this year playing for the Royals. Uh, for a lot of these guys, it's going to be a developmental tool, a way, to, a chance to work with, you know, whatever coaching staff they have with the taxi squad, get them to play probably some at least simulated games or inter-squad games uh, to get some sort of game action to get and to be under kind of like the tutelage of the, the major league staff uh, to get them some, some instruction. So, Sean, I think we've kind of seen teams approach the 60-man club pool different ways. Some teams... I think had a lot of guys that could conceivably play in the big leagues and contribute this year. Some teams kind of went pretty heavy with like, okay, these are our prospects. We want them to not going to play in the big leagues, but we want to kind of keep an eye on them. Um, what was there an approach you favored? And, and, and what, what would you have changed if anything with the, with how the Royals kind of uh, went with their list? I
1: like the list for the most part. Um, I was looking at it. I don't, I think of my top 10 prospects wise, I think only Gigliotti and, uh, oh gosh, uh, whom i like, blank- uh, Gabe Cancel. I think those are the two that weren't invited. And then I, I guess Bolin is 10th. Um, so if we can consider him too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it was fine. I, the Witt Jr. one makes sense. Um, he needs to get some sort of action. Obviously, he's not going to be removed because they're not going to release him. Um, But it's nice to see him get action. And I mentioned that the Tigers had Riley Green. I didn't see if the Padres did C.J. Abrams. But I'm just thinking of guys that were um, taken around there. uh, Right around in that draft. And, like, you just want to get playing time. So, I think the Royals did fine. Um, I don't know if I – I guess the strategy obviously is dependent upon how good the team expects to be. Um, You know, if you're a team – so, like, the Mariners. So, like, if the Mariners – they, they, I don't know if they're a competitive team given that they're a division, but they have an incentive now for someone like Emerson Hancock, who they just took sixth overall, um, and actually signed today as well. Uh, they just took six overall or I'm sorry, he signed a few days ago. They took sixth overall and, um, he's ready. So if you've got a guy like that, where you think like, okay, um, you know, this is an MLB prospect who's ready. Maybe we're going to compete. Let's put him on the 60 man worst case scenario is we've got to release someone on the 60 man that we don't care about necessarily to, you know if we need to actually fill a spot rather than releasing hancock um and you know best case is we are better than you know we're maybe projected to be we can bring hancock in something like a finnegan approach basically like the royals mm-hmm. took um so i think it just depends on the talent of the team the royals should have zero incentive to do to, to necessarily push anybody uh, to games it's nice If it means that guys um, like Singer or Kowar, Lynch, Bubic, they get a chance to compete, not in MLB games necessarily, but play some sort of organized ball um, against MLB players and not, you know, Joe Smith from their hometown, you know, on a backfield diamond somewhere. Um, So I think it makes sense if the Royals are operating under that idea of we don't necessarily expect to actually have these guys play in MLB games, but we want to get them in some sort of organized ball.
0: You, you, you talked about uh, we talked about Max Meyer earlier, and, and the Marlins. Uh, you know he hasn't signed officially signed his contract, but he's expected to do this week. And the, by according to their beat writer Joe Forsaro, he's expected to be on their club pool. Sean, yeah. do you think do you think the Royals should have done that with A.C., maybe just to get him acclimated yeah. to the big leagues, or at least you yeah. know ac- it's like being invited to big league camp. Sometimes you learn from the older guys, and you're under the tutelage of of Cal Eldred. Uh, which may or may not be a good thing. Uh, But, you know, they've got a closer look at him and they can kind of see him in game action.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like, uh, I, I think that if you, so the Royals, the Royals are in a spot where they need to take the spaghetti against the wall approach and just throw as much as they can. So I can see an argument that each of those 60 man spots is really important because it's one less guy you can kind of give some development shot on. Lacey, for you know for, for probably better than for worse he doesn't need a ton of development in the sense like Witt Jr., right, who's was already kind of old as a prospect in his draft to begin with, struggled in his first debut, and then if he didn't play anything this year, he'd be going basically 21 before he got that full-season ball. Uh, so, like, a guy like Witt Jr. is a guy like you could prioritize over over Lacey. Um, so I think if you got guys who you absolutely need, and the Padres strike me as an organization that's like that. you got a whole bunch of these raw, younger guys who need some sort of organized ball – Every single one of those spots is precious. Whereas the Royals kind of have like this spaghetti against the wall approach, where it's it's not like you it's not like you're dying to get a bunch of guys playing time. You just need to really just see who the heck you got. So I kind of get it. Like maybe they didn't want. Maybe they thought Lacy doesn't really need. You know, development right away. At least this year, it's not going to kill them. Not the pitch um, for this year, Uh, and you know they want to try some other guys out to see what they might have. Because again, you've got to release the guy if if they if you take them off the sixty man. So I don't know. I I think it's okay, not that crazy. The Marlins, who the Marlins are not an organization that you look at their transactions or their roster structure or their organizational structure for common sense. They're just kind of out (laughs) there, so that's fine. I understand that the the Marlins doing that. but, you know, it'd be interesting to see... Because the Tigers didn't have Torkelson.
0: Did the Tigers have Torkelson? No, they didn't have I, Torkelson I, on their okay. roster. Although, okay. it, like, they, okay. he, could, he could be added later. But he,
2: he hasn't yeah. signed yet, either. Yeah, right. Okay. I remember seeing someone... So he, they said he will add him. I saw that. Okay, that's what okay. I thought.
1: I know I saw a Tigers beat writer saying that they expect to have him on there. But then I saw it today, it's like, I didn't see Torkelson. Um, so, okay, cool. Because uh, the Tigers added a bunch of kind of younger guys. Like like I said, Riley Green and uh, Daz Cameron and... Uh, they added them on there, uh, which is nice. That's like like let's get these guys development. So I don't know. I think it's I don't think it's a big deal. Um, again, it's not like he's dying necessarily to get reps. He's he's pretty far along overall in the pitching well,
2: process. And also, let let's not pretend like they can't throw to when they I mean, just because he's not on the sixty man doesn't mean he can't throw pitches. So, and, and under the organization's guys as well. It's just he can't do it in this organized sense, basically.
0: Do we have a sense of where the taxi squad is going to be? I know they they wanted. MLB was asking teams to keep the players I, I've
2: heard the Urban Youth Academy. Okay, that would be kind of so cool. So that, that's actually really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. so that would be kind of something to look forward to. Uh, so we have a season starting in about three, a little over three weeks, David. What what are we looking from the Royals at this point? I mean, I know it seemed like when we, we suspended play, like they, they were kind of close to, not finalizing the roster, but we had a, I think we had a pretty good idea who is going to make the team is that we just is it we just pick off where we left off
2: probably yeah (laughs) what (laughs) what what else are we gonna like you said there's only three games at at most that they're gonna play and you don't really learn a ton outside of games um you can see who's who worked out well i guess i mean you got like josh tomah we saw him throw 104 all, all the whole time that they've been off so he seems to be in okay shape um I'm I'm curious, a guy like Trevor Rosenthal, how he picks up because he looked filthy in surprise, and then, boy, who knows? I <laughs> mean, he he struggled coming off Tommy John last season and couldn't throw strikes, and then he came into camp this year. He was dotting corners. Um, every report I heard was fantastic. I wasn't down there this year, so I didn't get to see him. But I'm I'm curious how he does. Um, the you know we kind of have to remind ourselves of the stories that we were talking about, and Nicky Lopez adding some strength. Can he? hit the ball far enough that he can get some bloop singles now. You know, that that sort of thing. Hunter Dozier playing right field. Um, that's and with Merrifield in center, although we've seen him in the outfield uh, enough to know that he can handle it fine. I mean, he's not great or anything out there, but he can handle it. Hunter Dozier though, every day in right field. That's that's an interesting story. And then there's the O'Hern mcbroom platoon at first base. That's another one that, that we it was kind of hot and heavy in surprise because they were both hitting the cover off the ball for a little while there and we miss out on that too. So, we'll, those, are the, those are the big storylines, and obviously the young pitching. But those are the ones that, that I, I was following so closely in Arizona that just, you know, came to an end. And um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that we'll really have answers until the regular, if you want to call it a regular season, starts in, in a few weeks. But uh, I don't know. And there, there's a lot to watch for still, which is nice. And, and you know, the, the sad thing is, if you blink, it'll be over and we'll miss it. <laughs>
0: I, I did see Alec Lewis tweet that Salvador Perez is in better shape now yeah. than he was in spring training, and I wonder if that's going to be the new, the new, the He's
2: new, in the bestest
0: <laughs> shape of his life. Right. The, <laughs> the newest best shape of his life is that he's in better shape than he was back then. Uh, I, I also wonder, like, uh, you know, we a lot of some fans, you know, make a big deal about, you know, what are thirty games of spring training. How much are we just going to hyper focus on if there's only three games? Like. Someone has one good, like Brady Singer has like three good innings. Like people are just right. gonna freak out. Put it, make him, have him start opening day. I, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be nuts with only three games. Jorge
2: Soler is one for twelve or <laughs> one for eight or whatever. Yeah, oh my, my, release him. Hot take
0: articles at Royals Review. What's wrong with Jorge Soler? So yeah, look forward <laughs> to that. We're just gonna, we're gonna go crazy with just three games. So, well, I'm looking forward to actually actually having baseball. Although we'll see with the rise in cases, I don't know how how many games are gonna get in, but um, I I hope. I hope everyone can stay safe and they can get as many games as they can. because I, I think
2: they're going to play regardless, which yeah. is scary and dangerous. Um, but I, <laughs> I have a really hard time thinking they're going to say, you know what? Nah, pack it up. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just can't see it. And I think they're going to do it right or wrong. Yeah. So we'll see there's how been, it goes. There's
1: been reports of a couple coaches. Um, uh, gosh, the Bob wins. McClure. Yeah, yeah right. Bob, yeah, Bob McClure is not going to be there. Uh, Ron Washington, I think did he say he was concerned about something? Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, he said something a few weeks, a couple weeks ago. Yeah.
1: Someone can't have two. Some managers like with two picks and he can't. Oh, Dusty do,
2: Baker, yeah, ju- yeah, Dusty Baker. He can't chew his
1: toothpick under right. his mask. It's just a bunch <laughs> of weird stuff, but I mean, it makes sense. And those are the guys that I'm worried about. Yeah, yeah, I think Bryce Harper will ultimately be okay if he got it, but yeah, I'm worried about the. Well, and some
2: umpires too. Yeah. And oh yeah. Clubhouse yeah. attendance. you know, I, I don't know how old Bill DePulce is, but I mean, he's not 28, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah there's guys you don't even think about it's, it. there's there's a lot of risk involved here and it's it's yeah. scary and it, it's easy I think we've overlooked that a lot um, I know I have because you talk about oh they're fighting over money blah 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 there are still a lot of people dying um, there's this little it's, it's kind of an issue still and it's easy to forget that I feel like and I, I, I just hope that if it gets to a point they actually do say we're done we're shutting this down I fear they won't though Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've got so much tied up and they had that long negotiation. I mean, you know, they spent the past whatever, three months arguing about stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you, it's weird to say, but if the bodies stack up too high, and not in deaths wise, but in, you know, in coronavirus coronavirus related cases wise, it's like, come on, guys. Like, at some point, you've got to realize that you, you tried. Great. There was an attempt, but it's like, you know what? You can't do this. And I think we're going to see that with, um, the NBA and maybe the NHL too. Thankfully, football has th- doesn't start for a few more months anyway. So that that at least works a bit in their favor. That they're basically going to miss anyways most of this, assuming a second uh, outbreak doesn't happen. Which you know, I do wonder how that how, make how it could it happen
2: <laughs> if the first never ends? Yeah. Right. All right. Agreed. I know. Yeah. I was
1: as I was saying that I was thinking to myself, "You're you're stupid. Why? What are you doing?" Uh, so yeah, but totally. But at least football, in that sense, that like yeah. they. They were automatically going to start September anyway,
2: so they don't have to push it, but we'll see, but
0: yeah. Well, let's get to our Royals review reviews. David, uh, what do you have for us this week?
2: So this is actually pandemic and quarantine related. One of the things that um, my wife and I have done quite a bit, we got on Steam, um, which you can get games on on the computer, and we've started playing Ticket to Ride with her family. Hmm. Um, and it's, I love Ticket to Ride, I don't know if you ever played it. It's a yeah, it's a great it. board game. Yeah, um, it's even better on the computer in a lot of ways because you don't have to clean it up when you're done. <laughs> you don't have to distribute all the trains the whole way through. Um, so yeah, so we've been playing a lot of Ticket to Ride. Um, my brother-in-law is adept at building the longest the longest train, which typically takes him from eight points down to two points up, and makes me want to throw my computer against the wall. But that's okay because if you throw a computer against the wall. You don't have to pick up all the pieces <laughs> from the board against the wall.
0: You just need to do
2: um, Yeah, it's no big deal. It's just one piece instead of 80 pieces. But yeah, Ticket to Ride um, on Steam. It is. Because we do a lot of game nights and we're really missing it and then kind of stumbled upon that. And it's just it's been awesome. It's only 10 bucks too. So And you can play. You don't have to play with other people. I. If, if I, I imagine my boss isn't listening to this, sometimes I play during the day. Sometimes I take five minutes, and, and it's quick too because you don't have to set it up. Sometimes I take a few minutes and I play a game, um, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. So I'd recommend that.
0: Yeah, I actually bought that game uh, because Keith Law, who's a big board game aficionado, oh yeah, I think had it yeah. as one of his top games. And yeah, it's a lot of fun to play. We play with the kids, so they they love it a lot. And and I think talking about the pandemic, yeah, this we've played like more board games as a family, like, like more than we have in the last year, which is, which has been great. Actually, it's been a great experience playing. And we, we bought uh monopoly, the card edition, which is a lot faster to play than the, mm. the board game edition. Uh, but that they've we've had a lot of fun doing that, but yeah, it, that's uh, uh, definitely great to play board games and ticket ride is a fun game. I can attest to that. So John, what do you have for us?
1: Um, I'll you, I'll do a movie as mostly usual. Um, I saw, I, f- finally got around to seeing this movie called Dragged Across Concrete. Um, It is by uh, the same guy that uh, directed Bone Tomahawk which is kind of one of my favorite movies of the past 10 years. Um, Zaylor is his last name. Uh, It's so there's this really weird movie I like called Smoking Aces that it's not a good movie but it's got like Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta and Chris Pine and all these actors. Uh, Common is in it. Alicia Keys is in it. Uh, That's a fantastic
2: movie. Please do not Please do not disparage that. I love it. All right, I'm saying I love it, but
1: I think people don't. I think there are tons of people that think it's like too too stupid. But I love it. Uh, and so the same guy. Uh, uh, Sorry, it's not the same guy. It feels like that movie in the sense that it's a bunch of these kind of random things all coming together. It's kind of the same quirkiness as Smoky Aces, but then I kind of mixed it a little bit with uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, so really good movie, Dragged Across the Concrete. It's got Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn and it's um and it's just kind of a weird but kind of cool movie and it's you know it's tough to watch Mel Gibson nowadays but this is a movie he's actually good in um <laughs> and so i don't know but there's some good gore in it too if you like that so and there's no background music either which um is tough to have in a movie unless you can have the script and the scene build tension without music and i think it does that so uh dragged across, uh, dragged across concrete uh, only i think it came out in 2018 so it's not that old a movie but um, Worth, a, worth the throw it on. You might not like it, but I don't care. I liked it.
0: Is this something I can watch with my kids? No, absolutely not.
1: <laughs> it's rated R. It's okay. very, very hard R. All
0: right. Uh, well, so my uh, Royals Review Reviews this week is, and this is kind of dumb because the book came out like five years ago, but I'm just getting around to reading Jeff Passon's The Arm, uh, which is a terrific book, and I've, I'm almost finished with it. It was a really easy read. Um, and he's such a good reporter that I kind of, he's kind of underrated as a, as a writer. He's, it's actually really well-written book that really does a great job setting the scene. He writes about the epidemic in pitching injuries around baseball, not just at the professional level, but with amateurs, like there's more teenagers getting Tommy John surgery than, than ever have and really should ever be. Um, and so he kind of explores the topic, follows uh, a number of pitchers, you know, because usually when we hear a guy gets Tommy John surgery, we forget about him for 18 months and we forget that there's an actual person there that actually goes to a doctor's clinic and has surgery and has anxieties and fears, and 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 has a long rehab process and uh, setbacks, and and uh, it's he, go, he goes through all that really well. Follows a, co- a couple different pitchers that go through the process. Also follows some younger younger athletes, uh, a ten-year-old who's kind of getting pushed to to participate more in youth baseball, like an, an insane number of games. Um, he follows around Riley Pint, the Overland Park. Uh, kid who was the number four overall pick in the draft a couple of years ago by the Rockies and how he kind of resisted some of those um, showcases that we're going to have him throw you know a million pitches. So uh, my son is in his second year of pitching uh, and he really likes it. And he's I think he's one of the you know I'm biased but I think he's one of the better pitchers in his league. But you know it's still a rec league. We're not you know we only play ten games. We're not taking it very seriously at this point. But I'm sure in the next couple of years he's going to want to take it a lot more seriously. And, and so it's it's kind of good to get some of this. Information And what's really frustrating, though, is how little we know about all this. Like, we don't know that 100 pitches is really a threshold for, for pitchers at the major league level. We don't know, you know, that curveballs actually do hurt a, uh, a young pitcher's arm as he gets older. Um, there's just a lot we don't know about why some guys are Nolan Ryan and why some guys are Mark Pryor uh, that are always hurt. So it's a really inter- interesting read. Like I said, it's a quick read. Uh, it came out a couple years ago. Uh, But Jeff Passan's The Arm is a really great uh, read, and I highly recommend it. So, uh, Well, hopefully, guys, next time we talk, we'll have an exhibition game or so to talk about, or at least some baseball. Finally, it's been, I don't know, what nine months or so, uh, but baseball is around the corner. And thanks so much for being on the show this week, and thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you again next time.